You may be seated. Welcome to Because of the Times 2002 Finish Strong. To all of you from Canada and South America and 40 missionaries here representing other nations, thank you for allowing us time for us to have a pause and remembrance of what a tragedy happened on September the 11th. And I thank God for America and, and the land of the free and the home of the brave. I borrow the words of our president, President Bush, in a primetime address to our uneasy nation on November the 8th, 2001, and I quote, our great national challenge is for Americans to turn their fears into action in hospitals, in schools, in homeless shelters, and at military facilities. Train for emergency service and join a new national civil defense force for we have entered a new era. Everybody must become a September the 11th volunteer. He said, we will persevere in this struggle, no matter how long it takes to prevail, for we are a different country than we were September the 10th, sadder and less innocent, stronger and more united, and in the face of ongoing threats, determined and courageous. He said, I am asking Americans to add to your eyes and ears to our effort to prevent terrorism, and I have a call for you to become vigilant. He continued by praising the action of passengers who fought with hijackers aboard airline flight 93. He recalled the words of one Todd Beamer, a 32-year-old businessman and Sunday school teacher who was overheard on the cell phone crying, God help us, Jesus help us, let's roll. The president said, we cannot know every turn this battle will take. Yet we know our cause is just, and our ultimate victory is assured, and we no doubt will face new challenges. But we have our marching orders. Fellow Americans, let's roll. Tonight I say, if one day can change the entire world, Three nights and two days of Because of the Times can change the way the church thinks about apostolic revival. So I say to you on this first night, we cannot understand or know every turn that this battle may take. Yet we know our cause is just. And we know our ultimate victory will be assured. And we no doubt will face many challenges. But we have our marching orders. Brothers and sisters, at because of the times, everything in the past year since 2001 because of the times hadn't been bloom and doom. Brothers and sisters, Let's roll!
said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Go! Go ye! Go ye into all the world. Because of him, because of his word, because of them, because of their faces, because of the times we have gone. of the times 2001 Anthony Mangan passionately delivered his burden on the importance of each individual taking responsibility for souls surrounding them the congregation committed to sharing that vision by signing a soul covenant card at the end of the message Jeanette Hargrove from Shreveport, Louisiana, was in the congregation that evening. She was immediately impressed to share the new birth message with two of her acquaintances who were presently ministers in another denomination. Come with me, she said. Let's go to church in Alexandria so you can experience what I'm talking about. And so it was that Reverend Timmy Howard and Reverend Jerome Lang entered the doors that Sunday evening on March 11, 2001. They never made it into the service before their lives were miraculously changed by the power of the fire. During pre-service prayer, the Holy Ghost fell, and both men received the powerful gift with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Pastor Anthony Mangan told them that after service, he would explain Jesus' name baptism. But there was no need. They were convicted of its importance during the service and were buried in baptism at the conclusion. They have since baptized their entire congregations as well as their staff. In the name of Jesus Christ. I thank God. Pastor Mangan, this Pentecostal church, 
Last Sunday, we baptized eight in the name of Jesus. Under the tutelage of Pastor Man God showed me how to do it, and it was the most spiritual baptism I've ever witnessed or either participated in. Now I know what you're talking about, Pastor. It's all in Jesus' name. I love preaching this truth. God has opened up doors for me to preach this truth all across this country. I spent two days in Oak Grove, Louisiana, preaching this truth in, in the place of Johnny James. Hallelujah, somebody. Left there, went to Baton Rouge. I, in Oak Grove, people were filled with the Holy Ghost. Two were baptized in Jesus' name. Praise God. Got to Pastor Almond's church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Preach this truth. Preach this truth. Preach this oneness of Jesus Christ. Preach this Holy Ghost feeling. Six people were baptized in Jesus' name. Eight people were filled with the Holy Ghost. Ain't God all right? Let, 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 me, let, me, let me just say something else to you. In March, God filled me right here in this church with his Holy Ghost. Shut up. With the baptism of the Holy Ghost, he baptized me in Jesus' name. But for some reason, y'all act like y'all got something that you don't really appreciate. You sit down in here like God has not done anything for you, but you ought to get up out your seat, stand on your feet, and praise God. For giving you this truth. Ain't God all right? Say yes. Say yes. Woo! Say yes. I thank God for my music minister's mother. I'm bringing him so he can get with you. We're going to get some of this music in our church. My music minister's mother is here with us tonight. And I praise God for her. And, and before she leaves here, she's going to fall out in the spirit. Hallelujah. Come on, let's just praise him one more time. Can we praise him one more time? January 7, 2002. Dear Brother Anthony Mangan, greetings in the name of Jesus. Below you will find a report for the crusades I preached or was involved with significantly in 2001 as a result of the finances you raised last year at Because of the Times. I thought you may be interested in knowing what results were gained because of the funds. In January, we followed the fire to Manila, Philippines, where 25,000 received the gift of the Holy Ghost. In March, the fire fell in Ethiopia, and 48,000 adults received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Also in March, 127 souls were born into the kingdom in the country of Kenya. 
in April, 2,500 souls followed the fire in a country only 25 years removed from cannibalism, Papua New Guinea. In May, it was documented that 2,247 people received the Holy Ghost in Lagos, Nigeria. In June, Karachi, Pakistan witnessed 3,300 who were born again. The grand total of souls who are a direct result of the generous giving of, because of the times, numbers 101,174. I wish to thank you and, of course, all who gave. The offering was very significant in my ability to be able to follow the fire to six crusades in 2001. May God bless you and your visionary leadership. Sincerely, Douglas Kleindienst, Director of Promotions, Home Missions Division, UPCI. of the times, February 1996, Mark and Chantel McLeod came to the meeting broken and disillusioned. Residents of Mississippi at the time, Mark had been a successful accountant for six years. They had been struggling with the call to start a new church, but had not made a commitment to do so. Their son, Landon, had been born the previous March, and six months later, their brand-new home was struck by lightning and burned to the ground. A few weeks following the fire, their son was diagnosed with severe physical problems, with an 80% chance that he would be severely mentally challenged. During the last message of the conference, with the lights flickering on and off due to a winter storm, a word of prophecy came through Reverend Jeff Arnold, who was ministering. He said, I don't know where you are, but someone here tonight has been burnt out. You have been blaming God and asking why did this happen to us? God wants you to know that he didn't do it just to be doing it but that he did it because we do not need it to fulfill his purpose in our lives. Here's what God wants you to do. Go back home, take up those ashes, throw them into the air, and touch other generations. After many miraculous events, the McLeods drove into Alexandria, Virginia at midnight July 22nd, 1996. The night before their first service was scheduled in the community center, they took the ashes they had kept from their burned dwelling and spread them throughout the city and over the door of the community center. 
22 souls were in that first service. In five years, the congregation has grown to over 150. Meeting facilities have been the biggest challenge for the brand new church, which is literally rising from the ashes. Beginning in the community center and then proceeding to a school gym, committed members of the congregation meet two to three hours before each service to set up chairs, sound and equipment, and staying as late as needed after the service to tear everything back down and store it away. Last year, the school gym became unavailable, and the congregation is in yet another temporary location in an area that is fast becoming landlocked. Seven acres of prime property for $700,000 were located on a main thoroughfare in the county. The road will soon become a six-lane highway. 3,000 new homes and a new high school are projected for construction in this area. This is the last big area of land to be developed that is closest to Washington, D.C. However, the $500,000 required for the down payment seemed like an impossibility. With the insurance proceeds from the fire, the McLeods built a brand new home in 2000. After living in the house for two and a half months, God began to impress them to sell. Because of Pastor McLeod's involvement as general contractor in the construction, there was already a considerable amount of equity in the home. November 15, 2001, marked another miracle. McLeod sold their home for an unbelievable $599,000. January 2002, the land is in the process of being purchased. Due to miraculous intervention, two much-needed and capable staff members have been able to join the staff full-time. They are presently working out of the basement of the McLeod's rented home. Their son is considered a miracle child. Their church is a miracle church. Their God is a miracle God. Because of the times, the fire is blazing from the ashes in the church on the move in Alexandria, Virginia. Because of the times, Alexandria, Louisiana, there is no sacrifice too great. Because of the times, we will go. Because of the times, we will give. We will not surrender to the terror created by man or by the spirit world. We've come this far by faith. Because of the times, we won't turn back.
may be seated. Thank you for your worship and praise. As you know, running a conference like this is not very cheap. We've got right at 400 preachers, kids across the street. Isn't that fantastic?
be seated. I give honor to my general superintendent who will be preaching tomorrow afternoon, Brother Haney. And aren't we blessed to have Brother Haney as our general superintendent? I give honor to my district superintendent. We're blessed to have Brother Tenney, my district superintendent. And then my pastor, my dad. Would you give honor to my father? You may be seated. Because of the times 2002 finds us in a forever changed world. And with it is a huge responsibility. Destiny-determining events of all history are happening in our world tonight, even as I speak. God's time clock is ticking away with apocalyptic siftings and cataclysmic changes happening by the moment. These are the days that Daniel and Ezekiel did write about. Ezekiel's boneyard is revived, and the Jews are back in their homeland. And this very moment, they're at that wailing wall in Jerusalem, at the base of the mosque of Omar, praying with their body in motion, Come Messiah, come Messiah, come Messiah. The Roman Empire, with the western wall mysteriously removed, is now being revived. God's clock is ticking away. Daniel's 70th week, which is Jacob's trouble, is now looming on the horizon. And Nebuchadnezzar's mighty image of gold, which represents the sweep of all of human history, national, social, spiritual, family, and individual life, has deteriorated from gold to silver and silver to brass and brass to iron and iron to mud. That where now that huge, mighty, colossal image is tottering on just feet of mud. Jesus said, when you shall see all these things, know this. My coming is near, and it's even at the door, and it's later than you think. He said, when you have wars, Pakistan and India and Afghanistan, and when you have rumors of wars, nation rising against nation, and China at this very moment, according to the news last week, has 20 nuclear warheads pointed at America, and by the year of 2015, we'll have 100 nuclear warheads pointed at America. With famines and pestilence and anthrax and biological, chemically induced diseases, and with earthquake in diverse places, Jesus answered all that by saying, these are just the beginning of sorrows. He said the worst is yet to come. He said there will be an intensification of evil and crime with the fluctuation of currency and the stock market rising and falling. He said you will find a time when men's hearts will start failing them. And the reason why is it will be because of fear. He said false Christs will rise, deceive many. He said religious apostasy watered down. Corrupted religion will be big business. It will be Satan's finest moment. Because of the time 2002, the lines of battle are being drawn. And a unique situation exists tonight. For we are seeing both revival and apostasy. We are passing quickly from the Philadelphia church, the church of the open door, to the last age, which is the Laodicean age, and it's the age of apostasy. 
And we are seeing more and more the world plunge into the Islamic darkness that is covering the earth and the gross darkness that is covering the people. It is later than you think. On that infamous day, September the 11th, it has now involved all nations with Jerusalem being the burdensome stone that Zechariah told us it would be. It's the mysterious handwriting on the proverbial wall of our hearts and our nation and our world. And the messages to the church and the messages to the nation and the messages to the world. And it's the same message that Daniel read on the wall. Thou art weighed in the balances and you are found wanted. This is the greatest hour of the church. It is the last days of the church. It is the most powerful, dynamic, apostolic, Jesus-named church that there's ever been. We are the key players in this end-time event. And we must be convinced in the next three nights and two days to the point of where we have a radical change. I said where every one of us have a radical change. That we have reason for still being here more than a 90-minute Sunday morning service. And that we have more than just Wednesday night, Sunday morning, and Sunday night services that is so far removed from our physical, biblical responsibility that we don't even understand it. The times of the Gentiles is running out. God visits the Gentile nation to get him a people for his name. He came to the Gentiles to get him a bride for his name's sake. We've got to run with the message. The former rain and the latter rain together is being poured out upon all flesh to reap the harvest through a revival, evangelistic, world-changing church with the restoration of all spiritual gifts. I tell you tonight, I put emphasis on it as strong as I've ever put emphasis on it. We cannot proceed with business as usual. Multitudes, multitudes are in the valley of decision. And now is the time for the new church, the, the, the true church, to sound the trumpet call of truth in no uncertain terms. And with a forceful vision of divine mission, we must meet this defining moment in history, and the church will prevail. The time has come to make that commandment the keystone of our agenda. Because of the times 2002, the clarion call for us to unite in common purpose, for our spiritual freedom for a whole world, we've got to commit ourselves this week to preach the gospel anywhere, everywhere, anytime, any place, to everybody and spiritually develop all New Testament believers in our local church to get involved in ministry of reaching a lost and dying world. We have to be motivated to go home and mobilize laity ministry in our churches. We're gonna to have to compel them by the lostness of humanity. We must commit ourselves with renewed passion and not stop until every soul in this world has been reached and every victim has been delivered from the devil's clutches. 
Our commander-in-chief has given us orders to go into the highways and the byways. He said, go into the mountains, the dens, and the caves. He said, compel them to come in. It's going to cost us much from here on out. We're going to have to fight to get on the airways. We're going to have to fight one-on-one on, -on, -one on the ground. But we must commit ourselves to both giving and going and establishing new apostolic Jesus name, spirit birth churches throughout America and around the world. We've got to have that revival. We must, we have to remain faithful to sound biblical apostolic doctrine and fundamental biblical anchored truths and saturate all we do with fervent prayer and intercession serving the Lord in this part we don't like and serving one another in the beauty of holiness let this apostolic truth ring from church to church let it go from preacher to preacher let it go from congregation to congregation let it go from believer to believer until Jesus come if this is a commitment that you cannot make tonight you have already begun the process of changing gods. It's later than you think. It's later than you think. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, he said, give none offense to the Jews. That's God's hour hand. The Jews have had their day, and the hour hand on God's rapture clock is set. The minute hand is the Gentiles. The Gentiles have had their day. And the minute hand is pointing to 12. There is one hand left on a clock. It moves faster than the hour hand. It moves faster than the minute hand. It's the second hand. And that is the church of the living God. And it's ticking away. And somewhere it's around 55, 56, 57, 58, 59. And when all three of those hands the Jews and the Gentiles and the church of the living God synchronize on God's clock. That's when the trumpet of God is going to sound and gravity is going to lose its hold and graves are going to be burst asunder and there's going to be a rapture of a church. We are close. We are so close. We are so close to the coming of the Lord. There's not a man or a woman in this room that realizes how close we are to the coming of our Messiah. And because of the nearness of his return, that brings us face to face with some do or die decisions if we are going to finish strong. We've got to finish strong in doctrine. We've got to finish strong with our families. And we must finish strong in evangelism. It's how you finish that counts. And this apostolic Jesus name church should be the mover and shaker force in every city. It should be the prime time event going on in every town. This apostolic church ought to impact every segment of society, every strata of our culture. I firmly believe that God has a key to open every lock possibility in your city and in your life. No, it's probably not the key that we use in Alexandria because we had to find our own key outside of prayer and fasting. But there is a key for you. 
God did not send you to where you are to fail. He has not sent you there just to hold your own. He has not sent you there just to get by. God has sent you there to have an apostolic revival. And your life is going to change. And you're going home and have revival. And you're going home and build a church. And you're going home and turn churches upside down, evangelists. You are. You may be seen if you've been sent to lead that church of revival. You have his presence. You have his presence. You have his power. And you have his provision. And the gates of hell cannot prevail against that. We are the people that's called by his name. And I think you know what his name is. We are the people of the revelation of the mighty God in Christ. I think you know how many gods there are. We are the people that are baptized with the Holy Ghost in fire. That's birth in the latter rain outpouring less than a hundred years ago. Who would have ever dreamed 100 years ago that this latter day outpouring, that at the turn of the 20th century, that that outpouring would become the headwaters of the great worldwide revival. That would be promised an outpouring of the former rain and the latter rain together upon all flesh. Now we have become a worldwide influence in the 21st century. Nobody knows what to do with us because we're a hot potato. My general superintendent and I were talking last night and again tonight, they don't know what to do with us. You say, well, the United, they don't know where, oh yes, they do know we're here. And I'm not just talking to the United Pentecostal Church. And let me say this to you ministers when we preach tonight. The majority of this congregation is United Pentecostal Church. But there's a lot of apostolic brethren here. There's a lot of assemblies of the Lord Jesus here. Because of the times, it isn't just a United Pentecostal Church thing. It's a oneness thing. Now, having said that, this apostolic movement should be positioning ourselves and all we possess to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. Not just talk about it because talk is cheap, but do it. And to do that, you have to have some things established. Number one, you've got to know there's only one gospel. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preaching his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Jesus preached it. He transmitted it to his disciples and he committed it to the church that was called by his name. The apostle Paul with apostolic authority and anointing warned in no uncertain terms against ever receiving or preaching any other gospel than what Jesus Christ gave them to preach. He said, though we are an angel from heaven, he said it twice, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached, let him be accursed. In essence, Paul said, I deserve God's judgment if I should distort corrupt or water down the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He told Timothy, 
He said, you born every preacher you run into, you run into every lay preacher, everybody you can get a hold of, you tell them to teach no other doctrine. In his letter to the church at Ephesus 4.14, he said, don't you be tossed to and fro and cared about by every wind and doctrine. He told the Ephesians, he said, we, he bid them goodbye, for he said, I have not shone to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. He finished strong. And let me tell you something, we don't have to give in on the apostolic message. It's the hottest message going. It's the most powerful thing happening. This apostolic message in this Jesus name gospel, it's never needed to be remodeled or updated. And shame on you if you're trying. It cannot be improved upon. It's the only unimpeachable Bible-founded gospel to be found in a timeless book called the Bible. And it's simply this, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So for the sake of the record, being we are very September the 11th oriented tonight, I borrowed the classic words of a New York City firefighter when he stood at the Twin Towers. Our brothers, our friends, and our relatives are buried here. I'm not going anywhere. So I tell you tonight, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I have no choice but to preach Acts 2.38. I'm not going to be mean with it. I'm not going to put people in hell. I don't have that authority to do that. I don't have the authority to judge anybody. But I've got a God called an only to preach Acts 238. You may be seated. What God does with everybody else is God's business. I'm not God. God can do with them what he wants to do with them. But I'm going to preach Acts 2.38 as a new birth message. He said, woe be me if I preach not the gospel. God said, I'll put a curse on you if I call you to preach it and you won't preach it. My friends are here, my brothers are here, my relatives are here, my grandparents are buried here, my, my, my paternal grandparents are here, my maternal grandparents are here, my father and mother are here. I'm not going anywhere. I love Acts 2.38. Maybe you see it. I Thanksgiving and Christmas are the greatest. We decided as a family not to give a bunch of gifts because we now got so much and we don't know even what to do with. God blessed all of us, so our family got together and said, we're just going to give each other a bunch of time. And we ended up at our Thanksgiving and Christmas. Michael and Jeff are assisting Brother and Sister Hennigan into Quincy with grandbaby Eva. Oh, I mean, that's, that's almost part of the Godhead there. I'm just messing around there, but... 
But we were all up for Thanksgiving, and before we knew it, we were in a discussion. And the greatest gifts we could give one another began to happen. Let me tell you what the Jews do on their feast day. You know what they do on Yom Kippur, and you know what they do on Hanukkah? They don't celebrate and sit around and do the things that maybe we would do. They sit down with their kids and they go over their traditions and they go over their doctrines and they go over what they believe. So Michael and Jeff has been teaching some Bible studies down in De Quincey and they've run into some people that's hitting them with some pretty tough questions and they've been having to handle some pretty good word in that Bible study. And so Michael said, well, they threw us one the other day. She said, I heard you preach dedications, baby dedications all the time, Dad. And you say that, that babies no babies go to hell. I said, that's correct. I said, but I said that in the New Testament that if the parents are saved, the baby's sanctified because of the parents and that the baby is saved because the parents are sanctified. Now, Michael, if the parents aren't saved, that baby doesn't go to hell. She said, well, I, I was using that, but they asked me about in the Old Testament when the blood was applied at the Passover and that firstborn of that dad that didn't apply the blood, where did that baby go? Y'all got an answer? I said, you know what? It didn't go to hell. But it's God's business where it goes. I said, Michael, there comes a time. I want my kids to know that if you want to get to doting over questions and you want to get to fooling with everything, you can back me in a corner. Because in that, there's not a theologian in this room. We'll act like we got the answer. But if you want to get the answer and keep pushing and pushing, well, what if and what if, there comes a time where you can't answer what if. you got to get your mind made up and get a life of the truth. You may be seated. So we went through the standards, and we won't go there, but I mean, Dad, Dad just, he just, Dad, Pop Lumpkin. Then we got on the righteous, let him be righteous still, and Pop Lumpkin gave this, and, 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 and Dad would say, uh, Brother Nar said this, and I'd say, well, we don't know what Brother Nar said. We don't know what the Word of God says. We're just having a good time together. <laughs> so we're just sitting there sharpening iron, but we were, we were going into some things that was making our family stronger on the traditions and the truths that we have been taught and word in. So we get to Christmas and Jimmy and Jelaine are there, my, my sweet family and brother and sister Lumpkin and Paul and Tanya. And, and man, we, we didn't give much gifts. The highest gift we paid was for $10. We couldn't pay more than $10, so we really went out on each other this year. But man, here we go. We wasn't there 10 minutes and we're back wanting to talk the word of God. And here we are saying, don't turn back. And Dad's saying, you got this. And I'm telling my kids, look, this is the greatest thing. Michael, don't be looking at questions. And Michael said, I've never, Dad, I love this, man. I'm into this, and I'm fired up. And, and Jeff said, I'm fired up. She said, but there was a professor the other day that asked me a question. He said, he does not believe that the book of Acts needs to be in the Bible because it's causing so much confusion in the religious world. And when he did, Daddy came up like this. You may be seated. He said, let me tell you something about those yo-yo professors. They don't even know the Bible. He said, I forgot more than they'll ever know, Jeff. He said, they don't even know that that old tabernacle in the wilderness is a foreshadow of everything to come. He said, in the holy place, there were five poles. The counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. He said, and then when you get the holiest of holies, there were four poles. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But that was ripped in twain. 
Now he said, I don't want to take nothing out of the Bible, but if you're going to take anything out, you can take Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because now we're in the holiest of holies with the book of Acts. It's the book of Acts. That's that message. That's what I want to be a part of. That's what I want in. Okay, Dad, I'm preaching. Sit down over there. No, I said, I'm going to get all my family in the ark. Then I'm going in. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to finish strong in doctrine. I'm going to finish strong with my family. I'm going to finish strong. Isaiah affectionately referred. Everybody say, Isaiah affectionately referred. He affectionately referred to his wife as a prophetess. Now, I know none of my, I'm submitted to three men in my life. This man, my pastor, and my district superintendent. And I know they won't pull my coattail on this. I told them they could pull my coattail anytime they wanted to. But I know they can't on this because he's married to Sister Hayne. And he's married to Vesta Mangan. And he's married to Thetis Man, uh, Tinny. Yeah, it's about the same. It's two peas in a pod. I want every minister's wife in this room to stand. I want you to know you are an anointed vessel. And we men can't make it without you. Keep standing. I'm not through. Keep standing. Men, turn them loose and let them go. They got the spirit of prophecy resting upon them. Let your wife get involved in apostolic ministry. There's an anointing that's resting on our wives right now. They got the spirit of the prophetess resting on them. You may be seated. Turn them loose. Let them go. Let them minister. And then the Bible says his sons were messengers of prophecy that he delivered. There's nothing no important in your children. Not your church, not your message, not your calling, not your ministry. Nothing is more important than your children. Get up off of your knees. Go get a bow glove. Go get a fishing rod. Go get a rifle. Go get a shotgun. Go do things with your kids. Our kids need us in this end time to be with them. I want my family saved, and I'm going to finish strong. In the name of Jesus and on the authority of the Word of God. I come against every spirit that's coming against our marriages. I come against every spirit that's coming against our children. I take the authority over it. Get your hands off of my children. Get your hands off of my kids. Get your hands. Our kids need us. Our wives need us. Our families need us. 
Your church is not more important than your family. Your preaching is not more important than your family. Your family needs you. Go home and get your kids, get your wife. Go on a one-day vacation. Have a party. Let's take our family to heaven. may be seated, then we must be convinced that I am chosen by God. Everybody say, I'm chosen by God. Not licensed by an organization, but chosen by God for the sovereign purposes that He has ordained for this generation and for this end time revival. You need to know, my dear preacher friend, and know it's strong. No man or group of men can counterman or interdict God's sovereign choice. It is thus with the purpose of God throughout history that the Spirit of the Lord has come upon men and the Spirit of the Lord has come upon women and there was an uponness of the Spirit that set them apart. Preaching is the most important business on our planet because it is the transmission of God's Word to humanity. Hell fears it. Earth requires it. Heaven ordains it. Don't treat it like a part-time job. The world is terribly, terribly lost. People know precious little about Jesus and zero nothing about the gospel. How can they hear without a preacher? How can they call on someone whom they have not heard? We need preachers in our pulpit preaching the gospel truth. We need preaching on revival and evangelism. We need men who are true the apostolic book of Acts pattern and who depend on the Holy Ghost with prayer and fasting. It's going to be more than our well-planned services. You can tell I like well-planned services. I like well-programmed. I like things that's done right. I think for so long in the Pentecostal movement, we've done things with tin can things. I think we ought to be the best and show the best and have the best. I think our services ought to be the best. There is no alternative, though, to the anointing of the Holy Ghost and fire that is available to you, my preacher friend. I'm going to tell you what's got to happen in the next three nights and two days. There's got to be a what meaneth this in every life in this room that only can be explained by the supernatural. There is not one dull page in the book of Acts. And I refuse to be around a dull, dead, dry, boring church service. Brother, we're going to have church. We're going to worship. We're going to dance. We're going to clap our hands. We're going to praise God. You know, we've started singing a lot of new courses. You may be seated. Now, don't let us scare you with those courses because we still sing the old hymns. But why is it when something comes along that blesses our people, we've got to start having war between the old hymns and the new courses? Well, I like the old hymns. Well, I like the new courses. Well, why can't you like them both? But in case you hung up on the old hymns, let me tell you this. Men wrote the old hymns. God wrote those scriptures. J just in case you were wondering there, that scripture that we're singing up there. So if you're critical of that, then 
you take it up with him. Now, I like the old hymns, but why can't we do it all? We got to get some life in our services. We got to get the joy of the Lord in our church. Brother, he's committed himself to this church. He said signs will follow. He guaranteed there'd be a supernatural happening. He said, you go in my name and preach the gospel. He said, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Empires will rise and fall. Cities are going to decay. Armies will be defeated. Corporations will bloom and fall. Political parties will wane. Geographical boundaries will be erased. But the church of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter who compromises, backslides, or apostatizes. No power of man, no lapse of time can stop an apostolic church. The church is invisible. It's impregnable. It's an indestructible entity. Nothing can stop or stand in the way of the church. The church that's going to reach the world, her message, her identity, her empowerment, her authority will still be seen and heard until he comes. Her conquest will continue to multiply. And there is no schism that can stop the church. There is no apostasy that can stop the church. There is no humanism that can stop the church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Banks may fail. Stocks may go. But the psalmist said it right in 48.12. Let me tell you what you're preaching in. Let me tell you what you have tonight. He said, you walk around Zion. He said, go about her and look at her. Tell the towers thereof. He said, get a good look at Zion. Go ahead, roll the screen, please. He said, mark ye well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces that you may tell to the following generation. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be, he will guide even unto death. He said, you just go over there and you look at the city of Jerusalem. And you remember Saddam can't get her. And you remember Arafat can't get her. And you remember China can't get her. And you remember America can't get her. Go over there and look at those walls. Go over there and look at the eastern gate. And you remember, that's my church. I don't care who comes against it. I don't care who wants to bomb it. I don't care who wants to fight it. Walk around Zion and look at it. It will stand. One writer said the definition of a word is determined by its usage. It's time we quit trying to define revival and start having revival. We planted some daughter works. He'll tell you more about what we're going to do. We planted one in Cotton, uh, in Cheneyville. Come here just a minute. Uh, we sent this man and his wife down to Cheneyville. They fixed up a beautiful building down there. They got to having revival. The mayor got to inquiring what was going on. We needed a building. They said, we want to rent city, city hall. They said, okay, so we got a lease on it for five years. There's not too many places in Louisiana you can plant a church. We got a post office over there, maybe out in the woods somewhere, still left, but that's just about it. She stuck around too long. He ended up baptizing the mayor in Jesus' name, and she got the Holy Ghost.
So Tony got to doing it. He said, we're going down. We had a daughter work planted, and, and, and a man uh, went took another church, and, and Tony said, I'll take it faster. I went to him, asked him to take it. They prayed about it. He went and took that daughter work. He painted the building, got it going. They started having revival, and the mayor came by to see him. And he got to telling the mayor about the good things God has done. Come here, mayor. He got baptized in Jesus' name, had an experience with God. There's a revival in Cheneyville. That's the mayor of Cottonport. Don't tell me God's not giving us an apostolic revival in the last days and a mighty outpouring of his spirit. Somebody call the mayor telling me he needs to be here tomorrow night. We need to baptize him. <laughs> he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Then he said, he closed the book, verse 20, and he gave it to the minister, and he sat down. Let me tell you what you have in your hand. You have the book. You have the word of God in your hand. He's not here to preach it. The world is in his hands, but the book is in our hands I'm a preacher I'm here in Christ's stead and this is where the buck stops in Alexandria I've got the greatest church board and I've got the greatest group of people and I've got some of the most sports spiritual people and I've got one of the carnalist choirs joking they've turned into such praise and worshipers up there these people love me but let me tell you something they're not gonna pastor this church this is where the buck stops right here you can't have an apostolic church with comedians running your church and committees running your church and, and a family running your church. You can have apostolic authority in the pulpit to run a church. See, whatever goes on in Alexandria, listen real closely. Whatever goes right in Alexandria, it's the pulpit. Whatever goes wrong in the pulpit, uh, wrong in Alexandria, it's the pulpit. See, God's got a plan, and I've got to get it on his plan. If this church gets off doctrinally, it's the pulpit's fault. If this church gets off on holiness, it's the pulpit's fault. If I fail to lead this church to perpetual revival, it's the pulpit's fault. I heard the amens on doctrine and on holiness, so let's keep going. Ho, ho. If the altars are empty, it's the pulpit's fault. If the baptistry's empty, it's the pulpit's fault. Brother, if you'll get to preaching revival and quit preaching some of the other junk we've been preaching and we'll get to preaching apostolic revival, reaching souls, mobilizing our people. You may be seated. History records a remarkable account. It's the destruction of an ancient town. The watchmen on the walls would call out whenever they thought they saw a foe approaching, sensing that the people had begun to resent them for giving these false alarms. They decided to remain quiet. 
The watchman decided to remain quiet. Regrettably, not long after, the enemy, enemy actually did come. And the city that could have been saved was assaulted and devastated. And nothing was left of this ancient city but smoke and ruins. Later, someone erected a small memorial inscribed with the following epitaph. Here stood a town that was destroyed by silence. If there is no revival, it's destroyed by silence. If there is no evangelism, it's destroyed by silence. We've got to preach revival till we have revival. We can't be happy if people are not getting saved. It's later than you think Jesus is coming. Later than you think. A few months ago, President Clinton invited Mickey and I up to spend the night with them in Chappaqua. And we went up there, and, and uh, I'm pretty much have an open life, so if you criticize me for this, it, it, won't, it just put it in line with all the others. But he and I went and played golf. And uh, on the way back from playing golf, he said, Anthony, he said, You and Mickey's going to stay at the house. For a couple hours tonight, he said, I have a, a meeting with former Prime Minister Barack. I said, interesting. I said, tell me what happened. Why didn't the Peace Corps go through? And he said, well, I'll tell you some confidential things that I want you to re repeat. He said, <laughs> but he said, here's the main reason. He said, Arafat, Arafat was just, he, he just wasn't thinking. He said, Anthony, Barack wanted to give him the whole West Bank. Barack wanted to give him the Temple Mount. Now, folks, this didn't come through five different voices to this ear. This isn't Pentecostal. What's that game you play? You tell somebody in time it gets around the room, it's something else. This came directly from him to my ear. He said, Anthony, you heard about that tunnel over there? And I said, yes, sir. He said, Barack would have traded everything for 50 more yards of that tunnel. He said, it would have put them in the ruins of Solomon's temple. Well, I said, you know why he wanted that, don't you? Because they feel like the Ark of the Covenant is there. But I said, let me tell you why Mr. Arafat's not the fool and y'all were. Because that's God's land, Mr. President. And you can't give that away. You don't have the authority, and Barack doesn't have the authority. But let me tell you something, Mr. President. Zechariah 12 says they're going to be a burdensome stone. Zechariah 12 says he's going to call the nation's hands to tremble. I said, you nor no one else will ever solve that situation because that's going to bring about Armageddon. He said, would you tell Barack that? And I said, yes, sir. He called his aide. He said, tell Mr. Barack we're not going to dinner. I want him to come to my house. And so Mickey and I drove to their home. And for 45 minutes, I sat down with this guy this tall. And I said, Mr. Prime Minister, I'm a Jew. I said, the president's not, but I'm a one God man. I said, we believe that the Messiah you're looking for in us has already come robed in flesh. I said, we believe in you and we pray for your country every day. I said, but that land doesn't belong to you. It belongs to your God. And no one can give that away. And all he'd ever say was, interesting, interesting, interesting. <laughs> I wanted to say, do you speak any other word English besides interesting? 
50 more yards. They would have given everything because if they could have found the Ark of the Covenant, they could have blown that moth to pieces. Everyone must rediscover an apostolic authority. We've got to live on our knees outside that pulpit because Jesus is coming. We've got to get stirring our congregation out of indifference and materialism and humanism and greed and stinginess and lukewarmism. America needs about six months of apostolic hellfire damnation preaching. Now I'm going to talk, and I'll be closed in 10 minutes, but I'm going to talk from the bottom of my heart. We don't have rugged apostolic preachers that can do that kind of preaching. Oh, you can condemn people, but I'm talking about with a burden apostolic preaching, including this man standing before you. There are very few prophetic voices left in our apostolic pulpits. We've become pretty good executives, and we've become great United Pentecostal Church preachers and apostolic preachers and Assembly of the Lord Jesus preaching, independent preachers, and all the other organizations that are represented here. We know how to all the machinery, and we know what to say, and we know how to politic with the saints, and we know the buttons to push when we preach. But we have lost that old rugged, prophetic, knock-down, drag-out preaching on the coming of the Lord and hellfire and brimstone. We have lost what used, my father used to preach to us because everybody comes to church so depressed and so tired and we're dealing with so, uh, you know, you got people that, that's married so many different times and they've come with so many complex problems, you almost hate to make them feel anything. But folks, if we don't get the fear of the Lord back in our preaching, So I've started preaching around here in this church. I tell you, I've been preaching hell until they smell the smoke. I'm going to make them grab onto the pews and sit there till they used to, like I used to do when Buck Treadway had preached down there at 16th and Day Street. He'd have hell. When, when, when Buck or Daddy preached on hell, you, you wanted a water bucket to get the flames off of it. That Twin Towers, that were engulfed with flames. I don't have time to tell the stories. Thank you, somebody. I don't have time to tell the stories. You've heard them. But there's one I will remind you of as I close. His name was Gerald Henson. He was a 64-year-old retired naval office, and he was instantly entombed in the Pentagon in rubble. He felt the searing heat and fire, and he thought, you have five minutes to live, Gerald. The building was collapsing, and he was pinned. And he said, all I can do is cry out. Two naval officers, one Captain David Thomas and Lieutenant Commander David Tarantino, a doctor, rushed to the smoldering crash site. They crawled through the holes of that wreckage, and Thomas turned the fire extinguisher on the erupting flames and began to fight. And he saw Henson bleeding all of a sudden and his head protruding from the rubble. And Thomas and Tarantino, with Henson close to losing his consciousness, Tarantino laid down on his back and he put his feet against that man's desk and he began to push that desk as hard as he could push it with every bit of strength within him. And that imprisoning pile, it only moved an inch. But when it did, Tarantino said, Move! It's moved! Move! It's now or never! Move! 
Dickinson managed to squeeze free. And his rescuers get the picture, Pentecostals, let him out of the blazing room. Then all three crawled back through the holes. And immediately there was a rumble of explosion and the room collapsed behind them. Henson was spared by one, one man, one life, and one soul was spared because two professionals forgot their distinguished profession. Now, or it's never, we're in a world on fire. It's a burning inferno, and Jesus is coming. And if we love Acts 2.38 like you were shouting 30 minutes ago, then everybody among us ought to be willing to crawl through and push. Put your feet against the desk. Go to work. Knock doors. Put up billboards. Hand out tracts. Have street services. Run buses. Mobilize your church. But oh God, it's now or never. Push. Push. Push, push. People are headed to a place where they're gnashing their teeth. People are headed. To Lake of Fire. There are no rescuers there. There are no Tarantinos there. There are no David Thomases there. Once there, they're forever there. And they're forever burning and for burning and for burning. Every story I've read about the crashes, every story I've read about Flight 99, there are stories that will be recorded and that will be written and movies will be made. But not one story can be compared that's ever been written with one story that the Lord told. He said there was a rich man and Lazarus. He said there was a rich man and Lazarus. And he begged for one drop of water. He said, wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut it off. Cast them into life, halt or maim, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. If thy eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee, for it is better to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into a lake of fire. We have no idea how hot hell is. We have no idea how real hell is. I wish there was somebody in this room far more capable than I am that could preach on Calvary. I love to hear a preacher preach on Calvary. I love to hear somebody talk about him walking up Golgotha's hill with the cross on his back. I love to hear Brother Pugh when he preached on the second cross and he had us carrying that cross literally in our minds and we were literally exhausted and emotionally drained when he got through preaching that message. But when you look at Jesus, and he's standing between the heavens and the earth and he's up and he's down and he's up and he's down don't forget that Calvary is there for one reason because there is a lake of fire he is Jesus Christ our Savior if he is our Savior what is he saving us from he is saving us from a lake of fire I can't believe every choir member if you don't win a soul this year every one of you ought to have a soul this year my God we've got to get after it people are on their way to a lake of fire and they're gonna burn forever and ever
We professionals have to forget our profession. Tonight, there is no general superintendent or district superintendent or pastor. There is no general board or district board. There is no evangelist. Every one of us are people that's got to become mobilized to help us reach a lost and dying world. And we've got to push and we've got to pull. The Lord is coming and hell is hot. And I'm going after them. I don't care who they are. I'm going after them. That shark, that shark in Pensacola, Florida, he reached down, Brother Martin, and got that little boy. That uncle saw him. He dove in that water, Bob. He got a hold of that shark, and he ripped him out. And he reached in there and pulled that baby out of that shark. You let me tell you something. We don't have one to lose. I don't have anybody to lose. I'm not going to let anybody go to hell. I don't even care if they left the United Pentecostal Church. And even if they're not preaching or doing the thing, I'm still going to go after them. I'm not going to let anybody, I'm not going to write anybody off. I'm going after people. God, people, it's more than just to debate with and condemn with. This message is real. We're going after backsliders in this church. If we just went home and got all the backsliders, we could double this organization almost. If we could just go get the backsliders rose out of our city, we could add such a revival. If I seem a little emotional drained tonight, I am. I preach my cousin, the boy that mother and I raised, and my father. Ain't Nara's son Mike was killed in an automobile accident this week. And I preached his funeral before you got here Monday at noon. The hardest funeral I've ever preached. I've never been touched by death like that because I raised that young man. I had to tell him when his father had been killed when he was five years old. But oh God, I wish I'd have even given it more in going after Michael. I believe Michael got things right in the last few days of his life. But oh God, I wish I could have maybe put a bigger stamp upon it. And I wish I could have done maybe a little better. I'm almost like that prophet where that lion came along and it got that lamb and he began to run after him. And he didn't get nothing back but two legs and an ear. But he got something back. We don't have anybody to lose. We don't have no one to give up. It may just be two legs and an ear. That may be all we have left. But I got to pull people out of the lake of fire. Folks, the Lord's coming and there's a hell. You can sit there dry if you want to. I'm through preaching and I'm done tonight. And if you want to sit there wondering what I'm going to do next, I don't have nothing else to do except to tell you, you better get people out of hell. You better get ready for the rapture. I wish I could hear somebody that could give a travail. I wish there would be some mother that would give birth to a soul right now. I wish there would be some preacher that would give birth to a revival right now. somebody would pray like you believed in hell give me two minutes of praying like you believe in hell and we'll have a revival tonight that will change us let's turn this whole place into an altar
We can't get down because of the crowd. Let's turn this whole place into an altar. Let there be a travail of a revival. Let there be a cry, come on balcony. Let there be a cry from the balcony. Come on, because of the times. Let something break loose inside of you. Let there be a burden for souls. Be so discontent with where you are. Oh, God. Oh, God.